I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, a.k.a. 5E, is full-spectrum high-milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right, 50% off, half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Joining me for episode 219 of the show is Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, what's up, my friend? Not much, man. Uh, just trying to recover from that beatdown today, but uh, had a nice brunch outside with some friends. So, it's uh, you know, that was at least nice today. 
Yeah, that's more enjoyable than an 18 to 4 drubbing, which we'll get to <laughs> uh, in this show. Uh, on today's episode of the show, as you saw from the headline, we are going to be talking about the MLB draft, which is coming up in a little less than a month now. Um, we're going to be doing a little bit of preview of that. Also, we're going to be recapping uh, the previous week of the Red Sox, which was not so good. Um, and then we'll get into uh, a couple of your listener questions to end the show. All right, Keaton, let's, uh, before we dig in to uh, all this stuff in a little bit more detail, um, how would you explain the last week of two and four baseball that the Red Sox have played? Not great. What do I you guess... think like, the big issue? Starting pitching. Okay. Um, and to be honest, I don't think... Well, I mean, it's been very bad the past couple of days, but I think we were kind of due for a speed bump mm-hmm. because of how well the, the starting pitching was playing and this, the, the history of inconsistency that we were kind of expecting coming into this year. Um, and I think... You and I, we talked about it like after the first couple weeks or so. We thought we were kind of playing with fire with everybody hitting at the same time. Uh, and now it just kind of feels like everyone's struggling at the same time, which makes it kind of that much more amplified. But yeah. I mean, there are some silver linings. The Red Sox are still in second place. They're four and a half ahead of the Blue Jays, uh, five and a half ahead of the Yankees still. They're only three games back of the Rays. Their last 10, they're six and four, which of course includes that uh, sweep of the Yankees. So. There are still some silver linings. It just kind of feels like a speed bump that is a bit amplified because it's everyone struggling at once. But yeah. um, I'm not panicking like I probably would be otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm not panicking yet. I mean, everything was feeling so good after that sweep of the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Then winning that game against the Marlins, which felt like a tr- uh, like a classic trap game. Um, but then Houston. I mean, Houston always comes and humbles the Red Sox, it seems like. Um, they're a really good team, so dropping two out of three to Houston um, was not super surprising to me, though. Um, but was what was surprising was that third game against Houston where the Red Sox ended up winning 12-8, uh, to eight, uh, as I called it here in our agenda, the uh, quote-unquote game on drugs, uh, which was just insane. Did you catch that game by chance, Keaton? No, because uh, my friend got married on Thursday. Uh, So shouts to him. Um, But I was at the ceremony, so I missed the game. But I caught the highlights of it, and that was a doozy. Yeah, so uh, Alex Spear wrote a pretty good write-up of this game um, for the Globe, and uh, he just collected some of the ridiculous things that occurred in this game, so I wanted to just read them here for uh, the listeners. So there were eight lead changes in the game, 12 pitchers, 20 runs scored, 24 hits, 35 base runners, 337 pitches, a Yuli Gurriel 315-foot homer off the pesky pole, a Jose Altuve homer on a pitch that was 10 inches off the ground, uh, three strikeouts over the entire game by the Red Sox lineup tied for the fewest in any game since August 17, 2018, two dropped fly balls by the Astros, uh, one that was a ridiculous uh, 
infield fly ruling thing yeah. uh, that was in center field when they ruled it an infield fly, uh, which was confusing to everybody. And a 2-4-3 double play when the only person on the field who seemed to recognize that Guriel, that a Guriel tapper in front of the plate was in play. And for good measure, as he ends with, a manager getting ejected and a fan sprinting onto the field. It was bananas. Yeah. And honestly, if it wasn't for the two pop fly balls, that that would have probably been a loss. I mean, that was yeah. what opened the floodgates and allowed the Red Sox to give themselves some breathing room, which is just bizarre. Yeah, it was a super weird game, um, but one that I thought was really important for the Red Sox to take. Um, so I was happy that they were able to win that game and not yeah. get swept by the Astros, um, who they haven't been successful against. But, you know, you need to get those. Those wins are so important. Um, those, you know, even getting one out of two from a team. Uh, is way better than uh, than sweeping, especially with such a competitive division that they're playing in. Uh, Blue Jays came to town after that. Uh, Red Sox won the first game six to five against the Jays, uh, and then we're kind of blown out. And uh, you know the last two games haven't been very pretty, but today's loss in particular was really terrible. Uh, a little reminder that Ryan Weber still can't pitch in the major leagues, uh, and then Marwin Gonzalez and Christian Arroyo getting mop up duties. Uh, in that game, both throwing an inning. Uh, Weber gave up 11 runs, Keaton. Um, nothing has changed with Ryan Weber at this point. No, I mean, he was basically in there for that to happen to him. Though. I mean, they gave up on this one pretty early. Didn't want to use any other arms, so they just let him go and just get wrecked and then finish it off with some position players, which if that's going to be the role for Ryan Weber, that's really the only role I wanted to have. <laughs> to be honest with you, but seems like he would do uh, that roster spot could be better utilized. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see him come in and just get beat to death on the mound, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, we saw that a lot last year, so it kind of gave me some uh, PTSD from last year's yeah. performance where that was pretty much every night from a member of the Red Sox pitching staff, so I'm happy that you know, that's not a thing we have to see nightly anymore. Um, Brennan Brennan was designated for assignment, um, and he was previously called up on Tuesday, the day after we had recorded last week. Um, no, 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 not last week. Um, he was called up this Tuesday, I want to say. No, wait, I'm sorry. He was called up on the 10th. There we go. Um but Ryan Weber, I assume, will go right down after his drubbing as well. Um, probably they will call up Phillips Valdez to get back in the bullpen as he is basically the only other healthy reliever who is currently on their 40-man roster. So, yeah, that's probably what will happen there uh, in this upcoming week. Uh, they do have one more game against the Blue Jays, though. So um, Nathan Eovaldi will try and be the stopper tomorrow for the Red Sox, try and split the series Against the Blue Jays, it's going to be uh, an interesting pitching game. Eovaldi versus Alec Manoa. What do you expect from this one, Keaton? This is going to be fun. Um, Manoa's pitched well. Uh, he's been kind of a fun guy to watch here in his first couple of starts. Uh, but Eovaldi's been turning things around. Looks good. I mean, the Reds, I feel like splitting a four-game splitting a four game series, taking two out of, two out of four, um, looks way better particularly after these two losses, uh, then one out of three, uh, even though it's just one game difference. But 
um, it kind of feels like to start the week off in a nice uh, positive direction and kind of carry that through the rest of the week. Feels like they kind of need to have it and just kind of save this series a bit and then get right back into it. The schedule, as we pointed out several times, doesn't get any better. Nope. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, any anything that they can do to kind of write themselves and kind of, you know, start the next series off on a, on a better foot, a good foot, I think they need to do. And this, the Toronto's pitching is... <laughs> Honestly, kind of just as weird as the Red Sox pitching, right? You got Hyunjin Ryu, who's the stud, uh, Robbie Ray, who pitched today, who's having a career year, uh, and then just a bunch of. Uh, so, having the the tough kind of results from Pavetta and Perez against a really tough lineup, I don't think two out of four is bad against the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays are, are a decent team. It's just basically their like most teams are riding and dying with their pitching, which is really weird and inconsistent. So like the offense is really freaking good. Um, and the Red Sox pitching, you know, Perez and Pavetta are the fourth and fifth guys in this rotation. So you're not expecting to throw gems out there every time. It's just tough to watch them get wrecked in back-to-back starts and then start to feel like, well, they're just not that good. Two to four against the Blue Jays to me, I think it's fine. It's a tough team. Yeah, and so this 17-game stretch, too, that we've been talking about so long this season is about to come to a close this Wednesday. Um, you know, they'll they'll finish the series off against the Blue Jays, which is why we're recording this on a Sunday. Um, then they'll have two against the Braves, and then they'll finally get a day off. And there is some semblance of a break in the schedule. We still have Tampa and the Yankees coming up, which is very hard, but that's sandwiched by... Uh, the Oreo cookie uh, that is the Kansas City Royals. We're going to be at KC, and then we're going to be home against KC uh, during that period of time. So I guess if you're looking for any sort of relief in the schedule, um, you know, KC is definitely some relief in the schedule. Um, but, you know, as my calculation looks here uh, at the 17-game stretch in June, uh, we had started off with two losses to the Astros, followed by a win against the Astros. Three straight wins against the Yankees, a win against the Marlins, two losses to the Astros, win against the Astros, a win against the Blue Jays, two losses to the Blue Jays. So right now they have more wins than they have losses during this 17-game stretch so far, albeit it's not over yet. There's still three games left in it. But I think that in and of itself is a success. Yeah, and I think they need to take advantage of this, you know, put air quotes around it, lull. You know, they've got, you know, like you said, two against two series against the Royals. Then they got one against the Angels and the Phillies, who are also struggling. They have the Athletics, who are uh, the best team in the American League, I think. Or no, a couple games behind Tampa. First in the West, anyway. Uh, but then for, they basically have um, July 15th through August 1st is exclusively games against uh, the Yankees, Toronto, and Tampa Bay. That could really kind of define the season because the Red Sox easily could like if they're you know continuing to struggle um, because there's so many of these games in the division they could actually fall back to like where Toronto is right now or the yeah. Yankees are right now, right? And kind of make this division race 
a lot tighter. Of course, it could go the opposite way if they take advantage of it and they could just bury everybody. Um, but I think that is going to add a lot of extra pressure to the trade deadline, knowing that you basically have three weeks of games against uh, the teams that you're fighting for this division with. That's going to be a real tough stretch. Yeah, it definitely is. I think that'll probably be the defining stretch of the season, um, or at least the second most defining stretch of the season. I still believe this 17-game stretch is probably the most uh, important. And uh, i, I got to correct my math here a little bit. I forgot that that Astro series uh, started on Monday the 31st. So Red Sox are actually 7-7 seven and seven so far over the 14, first 14 of this 17-game stretch. So that is respectable enough when you're playing teams like Houston, the Yankees, the Blue Jays. Um, yeah. So these next three games will be good. I would feel a whole hell of a lot better uh, to say that they went 10-7 and seven on this stretch than to say they went like 7-10. and 10. So, yeah. Um, all right. So let's move off of this. We, we talked about the fact that, you know, during this stretch, obviously we knew it was going to be hard because of the opponents. Um, I think we expected the starting pitching, which has been the strength of the Red Sox, to be a little bit better during this stretch. And, you know, the fact that they have gone 500 during this stretch, uh, despite not getting very good pitching, is, is encouraging, uh, at least to me. Um, Garrett Richards, ERA during the month of June, three starts, uh, 4.96 ERA. Nathan Eovaldi, uh, two starts, 4.63 ERA. Erod, this one's really bad. Two starts, uh, 8.19 or 8.1 ERA. Uh, Martin Perez, uh, his is even worse. Um, I don't know exactly what his is, but it, but it was 5.59 before today's game. So that's probably up there in Erod territory, if not worse, uh, for the month of June. And then Nick Pavetta, uh, 5.74 ERA. Let me ask you this, Keaton. Out of all of these starters, who worries you the most um, going forward? Um, Erod. Mm, okay. How come? Because, I mean, we came into this season with, I mean, he's he should be the ace of this team. Um, and he's much better than this. And obviously, you know, through the first uh, however many starts of the season, he was the best uh, the best pitcher in the staff and was kind of carrying it for a bit there. Uh, but that's that to me needs to be the one that's corrected. Like, so Richards is struggling. He has his ups and downs. I don't think that's anything to be uh, surprised about. Same with Perez and Pavetta. Uh, I mean, the, their most recent starts have been just awful, but all three, well, Richards has kind of basically just been pitching to his career average, which isn't bad. Um, but the other guys were pitching kind of above their heads. And so I think a bit of a speed bump was expected. Um, and Evaldi, again, same. He's had his inconsistencies. But Eduardo Rodriguez, like, he needs to be the most consistent and the best pitcher in this staff. And I think that carries throughout the rest of the starts, the rest of the, you know, the, the turns through the rotation. So with him struggling and everybody else struggling, it is it kind of – adds an extra weight to it and kind of every start becomes a little bit more pressure packed. Um, and I think it just, it just kind of 
one of those things that starts at the top. And if Hirod can get his stuff corrected, then it makes the rest of the the takes a little bit of the pressure off and kind of takes the sting out of the struggles a bit. Yeah. Uh, whereas basically it's everybody struggling right now, and we're expecting a lot more from Rodriguez. So I think there's that's the one that worries me the most, and probably there's the most pressure on him to turn it around. Yeah, it's funny, you know, um, when we did that roundtable a couple weeks ago on Over the Monster, they asked us to rank the pitchers going forward, and this was basically at the start of June for how much uh, we trusted them. And I put Richards 1, Eovaldi 2, uh, Erod 3rd, Perez 4th, um, and Pavetta 5th. And at that point, it was kind of like a wonky ranking, I think. I was one of only two people to have... Uh, Richards first um but you know I don't believe I was the other one you were not no um <laughs> yeah. you had Richards if, if I remember off I think top my head, I think you had him third yeah yeah I think you had uh pretty sure I had Erod first Erod then uh Eovaldi then Richards um for you but you know the 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 whole point of this is just to say that you know I I've always thought this season that Martin Perez and Nick Pavetta uh, were pitching over their heads so I expected this day to come at some point um, and I still think that there's a chance that they could be okay uh, going forward but I don't necessarily like when when Martin Perez had a three oh nine ERA uh, heading into two starts ago you know it's not like I expected him to pitch to that. Uh, for the rest of the season and now his era is up to 4.52 so it's risen almost a run and a half in two starts um i didn't expect it to rise that quickly uh however you know um i did expect him to finish the year with an era over four the issue going forward is and this is to say i completely agree with you that the guy who i'm most worried about is eduardo rodriguez um you know, no matter how you look at this situation, Richard Ziavaldi and Erod are important parts of this rotation because even when Sale comes back to the rotation, they will be guaranteed to be in that rotation. There is no other help coming for those spots. You know, you can talk me into a situation in the future where Hauk or Siebold or whatever are contributing in those Martin Perez, Nick Pavetta spots in that lineup. But, like, Eduardo needs to be great. And if he is not great, this rotation has very serious issues. And having that happen at the same time as Perez and Pavetta struggling is, like, kind of scary. Yeah. And I think even coming off of the the myocarditis thing from a year ago, like, coming into the spring training, everything we had heard was that it was a regular old offseason. He's 100% healthy. He's feeling great. Which gave us a lot of confidence in him. Obviously, it didn't exactly start out that way. Um, but I feel like Erod was the one guy in this rotation that we were like, yeah, he's going to be good. Uh, we want Ivaldi to be healthy for an, for an entire season because when he's healthy, he's really good. We're just not sure if that can happen. And so far, that it gotten pretty far in the season with him having a good uh, good year health-wise. Um but he was really the, the like the the one reliable one where we're like, all right, we know Erod's going to be good, so how is it going to play out two through five? And when that's we don't have that sure thing, it just looks real rough, and you don't really know where to go from there. Yeah, it really does, and you know I don't know how much it means, but 
His fastball velocity, Erod's fastball velo, is the lowest of his career right now at 92.5 miles per hour. Um, You know, the hardest was 2015 when he was averaging 94 miles an hour. But he's been above 93 from the left side um, for the the four years before that. Um, But, you know, this, I, I hate to say it, it doesn't really surprise me because inconsistency has been basically the only thing that's been consistent. Uh, about Erod throughout his career, um, especially with the Red Sox. Uh, I wrote an article going into this year about why the Red Sox should not re-sign Eduardo Rodriguez and make him a priority in the offseason, and I still believe that they should not re-sign him, and there's just too much volatility here. And You know, a 28-year-old lefty, um, it sounds like something that you should want to lock up for your team, but I just I think the Red Sox ought to stay away and invest elsewhere. I don't know what your thoughts are on on Erod and his pending free agency at this point. Well, it's interesting because pretty much every time we talk about Erod, we talk about every year he plays, you know, twenty twenty notwithstanding, uh, he'd gotten better and better, and we're seeing more than often now like that thirty year old cutoff isn't really doesn't have nearly as much of an effect on pitchers as it does hitters so you can put kind of that investment in there a bit longer if you feel like this is just a bump in the road for erod and it's coming off of a year of not playing and that's certainly affecting it i don't think i'd hate them trying like the the josh beckett route right like he had an awful year in his contract year and allowed the red sox to re-sign him at a pretty friendly price like the going rate for an improving 28-year-old lefty on the open market if Rado Rodriguez was having a good year this year probably would have priced him out of what the Red Sox were looking to do in the offseason. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's kind of having this struggle right now, if they approached him and locked him up, I know Beckett also talked about that, how he was having a bad year, and then once that kind of like the contract thing worked itself out, he felt more confident and kind mm-hmm. of then started to improve a little bit as the season went on. I don't know if they feel like Eduardo Rodriguez kind of has that same mindset where that might kind of, um, you know, help him out with his confidence uh, and then also give them a chance to lock up a young starter at a real team-friendly price. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't hate that, um, but it depends on if you think that uh, this is just a bump in the road or if, um, you know, the, his shortfalls seem more permanent than correctable. Yeah, and I think a lot of things do back up that philosophy too, Keaton. I mean, his XERA is 3.61, his FIP is 3.85, which is actually just a tick below what it was last year, um, or not last year, I should say, in 2019 when he had the great season. And then his XFIP is the lowest of his career right now at 3.49. So he's getting kind of BABIP to death a little bit, uh, 370 BABIP against him. and his left on base percentage is at an all-time low at 64%. And the home run rate is also the highest of his career. So there's probably some positive regression uh, coming here from Eduardo Rodriguez. It's just coming at a tough time with you know, the, the struggles of the other guys. I think it would have to be a fairly significant discount uh, for, for me to want to be on board with Eduardo Rodriguez. I wouldn't want to be busting out the checkbook for anything like above the $75 million range for him. Five years? Uh, I was thinking like four. Four and 75. 
That's pretty expensive. It is, but like like you said, twenty eight year old lefty. You know, like those guys get paid. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I I wouldn't. That's I wouldn't like the Evaldi deal, right? Like seventeen and a half. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that he could make an argument for that, considering, you know, Eovaldi signed that after having a very similar career to that point uh, as Erod. You know, we, we've we've talked about the one-year Erod Eclipse 200 innings, 2019, but then other than that, it's been a bunch of 130 innings pitched type seasons or less. Um, I think so, a lot of people thought that that 17.5 AAV was too much yeah. when it happened, which I think I think... Yeah, I guess that, that you're right. That probably is the going rate. I think I don't know if I'd want to go higher than 15 AAV for however many years. I think that is a great argument, and I'd be happy with that. I mean, I think really anything between 12 and 15 would be optimal for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I just have a feeling that because you know he's. He has eclipsed that two, 200 innings mark before, and because he is left-handed, um, that he will get paid a little bit more than that. I want to see. So uh, Eovaldi signed that after 2018, when his career ERA to that point was 4.16. Erod's career ERA is 4.19. So they actually are wow, yeah. eerily similar <laughs> pitchers to that point. And yeah. they're both 28 when they're entering free agency. So, All right. Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe 17 and a half. I think that's going to be in the ballpark. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't think I'd feel great about that. I'd feel like, okay. But, yeah, not great. All right. Um, moving on to our next agenda item here. Um yeah, let's talk about the trade market here a little bit. So uh, I want to get to a listener question before we start diving into the draft here. Um, we had a listener question from uh, Sox Thoughts. He says, any update on Hauk Seabold, uh, their injuries? It'd be nice to have some depth with the rotation scuffling at the moment. Who are some SP trade options out there who aren't Scherzer? And then we had a second one that said, uh, Steve, from Stephen Nichols, who said, with a team playing so well, uh, who can they move to improve their roster and who should they target? So let's talk about the target one. You know, I, I think they, they if they do add to this team, it'll be on the pitching side. Um, potentially they could add like a second or first baseman. I think first base is a little bit more likely, but, you know, the way that Dahlbeck is turning it around lately, I don't really see that happening. Um you know, let's let's look at that that market for pitchers outside of uh, Max Scherzer. Are there any names now that you know we've gotten a better sense of the standings um, that stand out to you as potential trade options for them? Yeah, uh, and I wonder what your thoughts are because this actually just came to me. Um, Herman Marquez, Colorado. Career ERA in Colorado of 4.94, uh, 3.67 outside. Massive swing and miss, racks up strikeouts. Uh, clearly better outside of Colorado. They're not going anywhere. 
um, he might be a guy that they could target, and he's still, um, but he's only 26 years old, which yeah. would probably price them out, him <laughs> being that young. Um, but I think if whoever is able to wrestle him out of Colorado, I think might be able to find themselves a pretty nice pitcher. Yeah, um, I think that's a really interesting one, especially because the Rockies are so listless and don't seem to have any sort of uh, intelligent life running their organization at this point. So um, I I think that he probably would be available. I do think he'd be a bit expensive, um, but I think that he could be worth it. I'm not one of these people who thinks like, oh, take him out of Colorado and he's going to be a frontline ace. I do think he will be better outside of Colorado than he's been inside Colorado. Um, But I do like that for what they need. And I do like that he is a true strikeout pitcher. So I think that that's a really, really interesting name and somebody who would be very attractive to me. Um, And I think that, you know, maybe uh, you could get him for less than you think. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what that is, but I think it's possible. I think so. We talked about what we might give up for Scherzer, and I think we basically said anybody outside of like the top three in the, um, or I mean, top two for sure, maybe top three um, on the Red Sox farm system. I think I would do the same thing for like any starter, really. I think. I mean, high-end starter, not just any kind of ho-hum starter, but like a high-end starter like a a one-to-two guy like Scherzer or Marquez, I would feel comfortable um, tossing a, a young guy in there, like basically up to downs. I would want to hold Duran and Casas, but the rest I think I would I would feel fine trading for a top starter. Yeah, and I think what makes it a little bit more palatable to me to deal somebody like Downs is because some guys on the market next year, um, you know, for second base options, you could potentially sign somebody like uh, Marcus Simeon, uh, who's having an excellent year this year. Um, I don't know. Joe, <laughs> I don't know. Old friend Jed Lowry, Wilmer Flores, Starlin <laughs> Castro. Like, there are some options. Cesar Hernandez, Josh Harrison. Like, there are some guys who could potentially uh, be in that role, and I think pitching is harder to find. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't hate that. Uh, a couple other names that come to mind. The Angels have continued to slip down the standings, so I think that any of their starters who are in or pending free agency, Dylan Bundy, Alex Cobb, um, Andrew Haney, um, those guys are all interesting and in play potentially. And then Merrill Kelly, um, you know, control right hander uh, for Arizona. Arizona is even worse than Colorado at this point. Um, he's got a club option as well, so he might be a little bit more expensive. But you know, he's 32 playing for a non-contending team, so I think that that could be another interesting option uh, for next year. Do you yeah. like any of those guys? I do. I, I'm wondering about like some of the. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mm, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of like talking myself into Dylan Bundy would be nice, but I think they have enough of those Dylan Bundy types. Yeah, I don't know if you particularly want to bring Dylan Bundy back to the AL East. Like, he might start no. having fever dreams and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But, like, Merrill Kelly's kind of interesting. And I like the he idea is. that you could put, you could have him for, you know, a little over $4 million, uh the next year if you wanted to as well. So, And, and also there's that uh, familiarity uh, between the brass at uh, Arizona and in that at Boston. So I think that that could be interesting um, and, and maybe a little bit more likely that it's a national league team too. True. Okay. Um, let's get on to this draft Keaton. Oh, actually, you know what? We didn't ask the answer. The second part, uh, who do you think from the roster could potentially be moved? Uh, if the Red Sox were to make any trades, if anybody who's currently on the team, uh, Marwin Gonzalez, because I feel like they have a lot of those utility guys. So if they needed to like part with somebody to like throw into a package to get a reliever, that it would probably be one of those utility guys. Although it seems to like they like Marwin Gonzalez quite a bit, but they just have a lot of those guys. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like. Um, he would be cut maybe like him or Santana. But I feel like one of those infield outfield utility guys is probably most likely. Yeah. Maybe a guy like Franchi too uh, as a potential trade piece. Do you have any sense as to whether or not you think that um, one or both of Bobby Dahlbeck or Chavis could be potential trade options considering, you know, this is Casas' job in waiting? Yeah. I mean, I would think – um, Chavis for sure. Um, Dahlbeck, I mean, we talked about how, I mean, he's not having a great year, but I also haven't really given him much leash yet. Like he hasn't even played a full season of games for his career at the major league level yet. So, uh, you know, it's, it's easier to give those guys runs when, um, you're not going anywhere, but the fact that they're fighting for a division and that's kind of a struggle of a position and you know that um, it's, it's somebody else's job shortly. That certainly makes them expendable. Uh, it's also pretty easy to find a guy like Mitch Moreland, right? Like to just yep. hold that position, be like a platoon guy and um, then turn it over to the kid when he's ready. So yeah, I think Chavis for sure. Cause I think we've, we've thought that he's probably going to get dealt coming in this year. Um, but the fact that Dahlbeck has also kind of struggled and, and we know that even if Dahlbeck was playing well, it's still not really his position. <laughs> so 
uh, yeah, I think I think both of them are probably expendable. I don't know if I necessarily expect Dahlbach to get dealt, but I think they've seen enough of Chavis that um, if someone wants them, I don't think there would be a deal breaker. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Colorado would entertain something like uh, Dahlbeck uh, and some prospects as a centerpiece for a Herman Marquez, CJ Cron trade. So kind of kill two birds with one stone, get a 31-year-old CJ Cron who's fairly productive, and then uh, you know get that young pitcher. Dahlbeck in Colorado would be wildly entertaining. Yes, I agree. <laughs> that would be pretty nice. I don't know if I want to do that to Mr. Dahlbeck, but, uh, you know, it would be pretty nice to get a pitcher in here. Yeah, agreed. All right, um, let's move on to the draft now. Um, so the Red Sox are in a very interesting position coming up here uh, in the beginning-ish part of July. Uh, the draft is going to be on July 11th through the 13th. Um, they have the best pick that they've had in the draft since 1967. Uh, they picked uh, third that year, and they have the fourth overall selection. The highest they've had in recent memory is seventh, which they had a couple times, once for Ben Benintendi and once for Trey Ball, uh, and they've had that before. Um, but, you know, they, they really almost never draft this high. Uh, so this is kind of interesting, and we're going to take a look at some of the options here. Uh, I'm just going to run through the top eight here of the um, Baseball America's recent uh, mock 4.0 uh, that came out on uh, May 24th. Um, it's still the most current one that Baseball America has. Right now they have uh, Jordan Lawler going number one. He is a prep shortstop um, from Dallas Jesuit High School um, going to the Pirates first overall. Uh, second overall pick, they have Marcelo Mayer from Eastlake High School in Chula Vista, California. Another prep shortstop going second to Texas. They have Brady House, another prep shortstop, uh, going third from Winder Barrow High School in Georgia um, to the Detroit Tigers. And fourth, they have Jack Leiter, Vanderbilt right-handed pitcher, going to your Boston Red Sox. Uh, that is very exciting. Um, number five, they have Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, going to the Baltimore Orioles. Number six, uh, another prep shortstop, Khalil Watson, um, going to, or actually, no, not a prep shortstop, a college shortstop, uh, Wake Forest shortstop, it seems like. That's a high um, school. Oh, shoot. Wow. Okay. So it is. It is a prep shortstop. Uh, Khalil Watson. Um, to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Seventh, they have Kumar Rocker, the other big righty, or other big starter, I should say, the righty of the two, um, from Vandy going to KC um, with seventh. And then to Colorado, uh, local product, Boston College uh, outfielder Sal Frelick uh, going to the Rockies. So, you know, that top eight is pretty interesting. Uh, Keaton, there's, you know, a couple names that have been rising up a little bit more. Um, let's talk about where the Red Sox are, what they need, and, and who you think they'll take. I mean, what's your impression? Let's just start off with the at the top here. What's your impression about three straight um, high school shortstops going here? Yeah, this is interesting. So, 
Major League Baseball, uh, their prospect guys, uh, Callis and Mayo, did a mock uh, four days ago. And just to show you kind of how wild the top of this draft is, they have Jordan Lawler going seventh. Wow. Yeah. So So how do they have the top eight? They have uh, Marcelo Meyer going one, uh, Leiter going two to the Rangers, then Jackson Job to the Tigers, Henry Davis to the Red Sox, Sal Freilich to the Orioles, Kumar Rocker sixth to the Diamondbacks, Jordan Lawler seventh to the Royals, and then Khalil Watson um, eighth to the Rockies. Hmm. So it's it, it, the the big riser there uh, in in the most recent mock uh, is the high school pitcher. What do you, what do we know about him, Joe? Yeah, so he's pretty interesting. Um, he's Kind of like as polished as a high school pitcher can be. Uh, he's a guy that I actually I talked about. Um, I subbed for Shelley on the uh, Red Sox on deck pod um, maybe a month ago or so, and I, I talked about him as like a a late like a mid round guy that um, the Red Sox might like just a, a name off the board that would be like oh hey the Red Sox took him at four what do you think um, he has massive velocity but like he's a high schooler that has like 55s on his control and his secondary pitches already which is Mm. just so rare yeah uh and to have to be that polished with your command and your arsenal and be able to hit close to triple digits is just like the ceiling is so high for this kid but he's a pitcher and he's a high school so the floor is also wildly low (laughs) so it's a really it's a really high risk pitch but if it hits like super electric young ace for a real long time um it's just it's hella risky because he's a high school pitcher um but um you know there's been a lot of high school pitchers that haven't worked out um some that have so it's i think it's really just more dreaming on the potential which is probably i think three seems real high for that yeah. um because he's a pitcher and he's high school i think like the 10 to 12 range probably makes sense um, maybe as high as eight, but I just, I would struggle to think that he'd be a top three, like going ahead of, um, a guy like rocker is uh, it's just that a little bit banana land to me just because of the risk with pitchers. But the talent is certainly tantalizing and, uh, the potential is something to dream on. Yeah. It's kind of interesting too the teams that are picking up there. Um, you know, obviously, Teams like Pittsburgh and Texas uh, and Detroit have so many needs, um, and you know the the needs there are definitely on both the the hitting and pitching side. Whereas with the Red Sox, you know they have really good hitting um, at the major league level, plus Casas, Downs, Duran on the way. So you know the hitting side is great. I don't think you draft for need at all uh, when you're drafting this high in the draft. So maybe yeah. this doesn't come into account. But I mean, for for a team like the Pirates, you know, they don't really have any hitters. So a name that's been mentioned for them is is the college bat Henry Davis, who has been mentioned to the Red Sox as well. Um, you know, the mock that you had uh, had them taking him. He's from Louisville. He's uh, in his third year of um, college. And his stats are ridiculous. I mean, he's he's hitting 370 this year with a 482 uh, OBP and a 663 slugging percentage. Um, and this is his second year in a row. He's had an OPS over 1100. 
Uh, he's got 10 stolen bases uh, to go along with 15 home runs and 48 RBIs. Uh, he is about as sure a thing with the bat as there is. I mean, even if this guy had to move off of catcher and be somewhere else in the future, he's a pretty good catcher too, though. But, like, you know, this bat seems like it's going to play here at the major league level. Oh, for sure. And he's having just a hell of a year. Yeah. <laughs> Eating everybody up. Yeah, he really is. Um, and and so, I mean, that's an option. I think he's going to go in the top four to somebody. It sounds like Baseball America is convinced that both Marcelo Mayer and Jordan Lawler are going in the top four. I find it interesting uh, that they had Jordan Lawler outside of the top uh, four in that mock that you, you read about. But those guys are about as connected as it gets. It seems like Mayer, though... I'd be shocked if he didn't go 1-1. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one, too. It, it just seems like the more you look at these guys, the the less uh, complaints people have about Mayer. The interesting thing, though, is Lawler. If, if Lawler doesn't go 1 to Pittsburgh, can Texas pass up on Lawler, being that he's a local Dallas guy? Like that's going to factor into it a little bit from a marketing standpoint. If all other things are equal, you know, passing on the local kid, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know how much it plays. I mean, he's also just a fit for the organization. Like, I think sure. both those guys at the top are fits. So I think it would be weirder if it was like, if it didn't really seem like a fit for the org and then they, you know, they took him just because he was a local guy. But I think, yeah, it probably adds a little bit to that flavor. But I don't know if it's a, like a massive consideration. It's fun when it works yeah. out, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think that it's it's interesting, uh, and, and definitely you know nobody would bat an eye at that pick, Lawler too, because he's already so high regarded. Um, Detroit's interesting. Detroit they ha- they have taking in this mock uh, Brady House, um, which is the third of these prep short stops. He's probably the one with the most hit tool concerns, but his power is ridiculous. Um, he's from Georgia, which has been a hotbed for, for high schoolers uh, in the past. But Detroit is a team that I could actually see uh, doing something a little bit weird here uh, and maybe picking for need over um, you know just pure talent um, because they have had so many pitchers in their system. They've had Scooble, they've had Mize. They've had Manning, um, but they really don't have, other than uh, Riley Green, any really super elite bats uh, outside of, well, I guess they took Torque last year, right? So Torque and Green, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to add somebody up the middle to that group. Yeah, I completely agree. That's that's one, too, where I think we talked about it on a previous one when, uh, uh, you know, like Leiter and Rocker weren't projected to make it to the fourth pick. Like, we were really hoping that, Detroit was like, ah, we got enough pitchers, we'll go somewhere else. Uh, and now that actually seems like a reality. <laughs> so that, w- that would be kind of nice. I would uh, I would hope that it works out that way, and I would love for the Red Sox to have their pick of Leiter and Rocker at number four. So out of those two pitchers, Leiter and Rocker at number four, um, I definitely I prefer Leiter. I'm going to give you the stats on these two guys. Uh, Leiter this year, he is he has 89 innings pitched. Uh, he has struck out 146, uh, walked 38, and he has a 2.22 ERA and a 0.87 whip. Uh, he also just pitched a really good game uh, in a win uh, 
uh, in the regionals. Um, so they are going to the College World Series again. And Rocker is a year older. He's a junior. Uh, he has a 2.65 ERA this season. More innings pitched, 98.1 or 98 and a third, as I correct myself. 144 strikeouts, 38 uh, walks, and a 0.91 whip. Who do you like out of these two? So, actually like Rocker. All right. Give me the case for Rocker. Because he's done it longer. Which, um, you know, Kamar, or, uh, Leiter is just kind of having his coming out party this season. Um, but Rocker already had like an incredibly solid season, pitching 99 and two-thirds innings, uh, 114 strikeouts, 21 walks. It's a bit better on the control um, than Leiter. And I just feel like he's slightly safer. Floor is just a little bit higher with him versus Leiter. They're both really freaking good, though. Yeah, both right-handed pitchers. I mean, Leiter is six feet, whereas Rocker is kind of a monster. Isn't he like 6'4 or something like that? Uh, He is 6'4, 255. That's a house. He's huge. Yeah. Um, out of these two pitchers, I think Leiter's got the better command. Rocker probably has the better wipeout breaker with his slider. Probably a better fastball. Uh, both have tremendous fastballs, though. I mean, I guess it just comes down to, like, what do you like better? Do you like the guy with better command and slightly more pitches and Leiter? Or do you like the guy who's done it for longer, who has the traditional pitcher's build and the wipeout slider uh in in rocker so i mean i i slightly prefer lighter because that's just the type of pitcher i like a little bit better but i think i'd be psyched with either of these guys i would i would be too and i know you said that you don't really pick for need but and i think it's it's kind of interesting because red sox don't really have much pitching in their system at all even i mean the pitching that they do have is is not outstanding there's not you know something to dream on there so I would like to have that in the system, just personally. Um, it's also, I think, these two guys, and we're kind of touching on it before we started recording, um, the floor of these guys is like the highest floor of college pitchers since maybe like Cole and Bauer when they came out in, what was it, 2012, 2011? 2011. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Somewhere around there. The floor, like the Red Sox have a pretty well-documented history over the last 20 years of not really knowing how to develop pitching. But when you're given guys that are this polished already, it seems really hard to mess it up. So I think the the fit in the system, um, the fit in their skill set, and the fact that the Red Sox don't really draft up here, I for me, I'm one of the Vandy boys or bust. Mm-hmm. I really want to see one of them. But also there's like guys that you hit on, like uh, obviously – Henry Davis, big fan. Yeah. <laughs> Would, wouldn't hate it. But I just, I really want to see the Red Sox draft and develop a really good pitcher, which is just something that they just don't do. Yeah, I would love to see that as well. We did get a listener question that I think is a really interesting one from Alan Chang. Uh, and he says, Who would you rather have, Henry Davis or Jack Leiter? I'm going to expand that out a little bit, Keaton. Um, Henry Davis, Jack Leiter, or Kumar Rocker. You know, if you're given that choice, if you're the Red Sox, I think it's one you have to really think long and hard about. Um, 
the polished you know bat of Henry Davis who plays a premium defensive position in catcher and that's one of the weaknesses in the Red Sox system right now along with you know a lack of high end starting pitching they definitely have a lack of impact uh, future catchers um, so that would be a very enticing pick but how do you how do you make that decision whether or not to go with Henry Davis or one of the two Vandy boys because you're definitely going to have your choice of at least one of those with the prep shortstops going. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Um, yeah, personally, I would want – I would put – I'd go Rocker, Lighter, Davis. Mm-hmm. But they're all incredibly close that I'd – like if – I'd be kind of bummed if the Red Sox passed on both Lighter and Rocker and took Davis just from my own bias – uh, but the Red Sox, as much as their history is documented in struggling with developing pitchers, they are dynamite at developing hitters. And if they can get him to reach like his max as a catcher, is kind of a goldmine. Yeah, given the position. So um, that's certainly something to dream on. I think to, for me, all three of these guys are super duper close. But I just my my want for them to finally like develop a high-end pitcher is so high that maybe that's probably stupid i probably shouldn't want them to do that as much as i do but i do (laughs) no i'm kind of with you man i i would have it just slightly different than you i'd have it rocker uh i would have it lighter rocker than henry davis but like i have it for a for b for c these guys are all in the exact same tier for me yeah Uh, like you said you know red sox get any one of those three guys they're in great shape um, I'd be surprised if they were able to get any of the guys uh, who are projected to be ahead of them. Definitely think Mayer is going to be off the board and Lawler is going to be off the board. But, you know, outside of that, uh, House could fall. You know, any of these other guys could fall a little bit. But really, I mean, we didn't talk about anybody outside of the top eight names plus Job, who's a huge riser, because the Red Sox aren't going to have to worry about that. I mean, I'm guessing they have about eight guys they're really looking at here, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, Okay. Do you think there's any way, and I have to bring this up, even though I think it's kind of dumb to bring up, do you think (laughs) there's any way the Red Sox do something crazy at this spot and try and split the bonus pool instead of going for the biggest talent available? Do I think there's a chance? Yes. Um, however, so I actually talked about this um, with somebody on some podcast. We, we do a ton of podcasts. So there, at some point I talked to somebody about this. And I think when you're drafting this high, you can't nitpick like that. Like you, if you have the fourth pick, then you should get the fourth best player, whoever that is. Don't try and do something cute and take like the 20th best player to save money at the 38th pick or whatever when you're drafting this high you just got to take the talent like i get what they did last year with york but that was mid-teens um or where was that yeah that's mid 20 something whatever second half it was was, yeah it was lower down than yeah we're talking about second half of the first round there's a significant drop off in talent in any draft from the top four to the bottom third of the draft so that i get it but when you're drafting this high and it's 
extremely rare, like the first time in 60 years that you have been drafting this high, just take the talent. Worry about the cash later. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, I would be shocked and appalled uh, if they didn't take the best player available at this spot. Uh, you had Boston Red Sox. You have plenty of money. I, I get the whole thing with the missing draft pick last year. Um, but, yeah, let's not get cute. Yep, agreed. Also, real quick on Jackson Joe before we move on. Yeah. His grades from MLB.com. Fastball, 60. Slider, 65. Curveball, 55. Changeup, 60. Control, control is a 50. To be a high school pitcher with four pitches and have them all grade out at 55 or higher with average control is Neil in a haystack rare. Yeah, it kind of makes me think I would be okay with him at four, too. I mean, the ceiling is, it might be the highest ceiling of a pitcher in the entire draft, and that includes lighter and rocker. It's just the floor is significantly lower and the risk because of the ETA, but he's going to be a fun prospect. Just really hope he doesn't end up in Colorado. Yeah, crossing my fingers for him with that. Right now, they have uh, Sal Frillick going to Colorado. Uh, in this, this that's fun. So, you know, be a nice place to hit for a guy who doesn't have tremendous power. Frelick's only about five nine, so that'd be kind of cool for him. But yeah. he'd be in a terrible organization. But maybe he'd have a buddy in Bobby <laughs> Dahlbeck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we're putting that evil on Bobby. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, he might hit your uh, thirty six homer mark in Colorado. Yeah, let's forget about that. <laughs> Everybody says dumb stuff every once in a while. I definitely did. Yeah, like Blake Snell will be better than uh, Jake DeGrom over the past three years. Who said that? That was me. I said that. Oh, That was our dumb bet, man. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> that bottle of gin, when can I expect that, Keaton? Shortly. Next time we get together? Indeed. <laughs> All right. August? At a baseball game, I hope. No kidding. All right. Uh, our last listener question before we wrap this discussion up for the day comes from Gordon Constock, and he says, uh, not that I in any way are, am implying this could, would, or should happen, but hypothetically, if two or more Red Sox pitchers got suspended for foreign substances, i.e. sticky stuff, uh, would Cora be out of baseball for good? It's an interesting question. What do you think? It is an interesting question because initially I was like, well, of course not, but then I was like, well, I mean, he's already had, like, the history, so it's, like, we had the, was he, he was the Apple Watches, right? And then plus the the stuff in uh, Houston? I don't think he I was the Apple, Apple Watches. Watches I, I don't think that was him. I think yeah. that was 17 or 16. Okay. Yeah, it's just the years, everything. <laughs> Everything's prior to 2020 strokes. seems like so long ago, I don't even remember. Um. But I, I don't think so. I think um, – have you seen the the memo from Major League Baseball? I don't know if it's come out yet. I, I haven't seen it. But it seemed like it was more targeting the individual pitchers and not uh, organizations or coaching staffs. So I, I don't think that there'll be like, uh, like tertiary repercussions from it from if anything happens. I think it just kind of seems like it's focused on the individual. So I don't think so. But I think it would start kind of adding to uh, 
you know the cloud that's already hanging over Korra. I don't think he'd be separated from it, but I don't know if he would really be punished. Yeah, I think absolutely he would not be punished uh, for this. It seems like something very individual and also something that is clearly recognized to be very league-wide. You know, this would not just be a Red Sox-centric yeah. thing or a, you know, Cora-centric thing. It's it's everywhere and it's very well known. And that's why they did the league-wide memo and that's why they are deciding on this league-wide memo and teams have already been contacted about this that you know, it's not going to be up to the club or the manager or whatever to enforce this. It will be enforced on the field by the umps um, and in Major League Baseball. So they're kind of taking it out of the hands of them because they know everybody's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like it's much more individual focused. I don't know whether that's um, Major League Baseball trying to protect their own and go after players in the Players Association, or if it's legitimately just on the individual level. But Major League Baseball, I don't think the lines are all that clear. <laughs> so it could be that they're just trying to protect their own uh, and also kind of crack down on this. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll we'll see if and how many uh, players are affected by this, and then maybe that might spark something a little bit heavier down the road. But I think at least initially with this, it just seems like it's really – they're just trying to crack down on individuals and the players and uh, not put the onus on anybody else. Yeah, and also I think Major League Baseball took quite a bit of criticism for how it handled the Astros cheating scandal. You know, they really couldn't do anything to the individual players. And I think a lot of people felt that that was pretty wrong. You know, the guys yeah. like Jose Altuve and Bregman and whoever just like got to show up for work. And guys like Cora had to question whether or not they had a future in the game. I don't think that was very fair. Neither do I. All right. So continue to boo those players. Uh, Continue to cheer for us, though. Um, (laughs) We hope you did enjoy this episode. If you did, go on, rate and review on iTunes. We do appreciate that. Subscribe to the show. Uh, If you do that, you'll get all of our other great shows on the network. You'll get uh, the uh, Angry Muppets version of this show uh, from Brian. and uh, <laughs> That was so funny. It was so funny. So shouts, shouts, you know who you are um, for, for that comparison. We were compared to Ernie and Bert, and uh, they were compared to the two angry guys. Uh, all I know is them from um, uh, the Christmas Carol, uh, the, yeah. the Muppet Christmas Carol, when they play Marley and Marley. Um, which is also a fire song. So if you haven't listened to Marley and Marley, definitely check that out. Um, You can find the Red Sox on deck podcast with Shelly and Bob, and you can find Keaton and Shelly doing the precap podcast. So all great shows all on this network. You don't have to do anything, but just press your subscribe button. Uh, Keaton, thank you for joining me and we will be with you again at the same time next week.